being ambivalent is incredibly wise because it's a really profound choice. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. Hey listeners, welcome back for part two of this two-part episode with the author Jennifer Flint, who wrote Wild Egg, all about one woman's journey and search for the child-free life. In this episode, we dive into her process of writing this book and what it means to her and the impact she hopes it will have on others. So without further ado, I give you part two. So (laughs) Jennifer, I'm curious, first How did this novel come to be? Hmm. Yeah, I'd been trying for a long time to write a totally different book, which was about a lighthouse keeper, because my dad, before I was born, had been a lighthouse keeper. And I was fascinated by this whole idea, you know, in lighthouses, there's, there's a certain romance and mystery about them. So I had been on the horse, off the horse for years, kind of starting and stopping with this book that I had an idea about. So as I said um, in our last conversation, I had finally got myself in a place where I kind of reorganised my life and thought, right, I'm ready to have another crack at this. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) So I was working part-time. I hired a coach. I kind of organised a whole series of things. And I prayed. I prayed at the Tibetan monastery that I visited with my friend to give me a download like JK Rowling. (laughs) Uh, I was like, I'm so ready. Please give me a download. And that was in the January of 2020. So I'd started, you know, having another go at this other book about the Lighthouse Keeper, just as lockdown happened, which I think was a pretty profound time for, for all of us in different ways. And at that time, a guy who I already knew from previous things that I'd done. So he was um, a coach. He's a bit like Tony Robbins, but from my part of the world, like a British Tony Robbins. Yeah. Lovely guy. So I know him quite well. And I'd done some courses with him in the past. He pops up on my Facebook feed. Basically, his wife had said, because he's got incredible energy, you know, a bit like Tony Robbins. <laughs> and he, he was just bouncing off the walls because he does a lot of events and conferences and and he was, his wife said to him, for God's sake, Michael, will you please find a project? You're driving me insane. <laughs> they were stuck in the house together. So he, he reached out. We had quite a big community, you know, followers. And he said, if I could teach you one thing that would be super cool during this time of lockdown, what would it be? And I think he said 70 something percent came back and said, teach us how to write a book. Wow. And he actually has written about eight books. So he's been a Sunday Times bestseller. So he's, you know, he's written kind of personal development type books. So we thought, oh, okay, Michael being Michael. So anyway, he thought, I'm going to test something and see what happens. So we came up with this. He's dead entrepreneurial creative. We came up with this idea of a writing pop-up group to see what the appetite was and just test the waters kind of thing. So I thought, I saw this and it was free. It was a week long And basically the premise was that you would join this group, you would have little tasks to do every day where you'd have to complete your task, put it into the the Facebook group, be an active participant, feedback to other people on their contributions. 
gradually the task sort of increased in the you know challenge and then as part of that it was like free sort of little webinar things every day about all aspects of writing it was really good fun so I thought this is perfect timing oh brilliant I signed up and then something really curious happened so literally about the couple of days before it started mysteriously my diary started to clear of its own accord so I remember people were getting in touch and Jen I'm really sorry is it possible to reschedule such and I was like yeah okay and literally by magic my diary became almost empty for this week and I thought that's odd okay that's that's interesting so yeah it was a competition as well so there was like cool prizes for contributing it to the community I got really overexcited because I thought oh brilliant and I just got engrossed in it you know because I was having so much fun and I think because by this point in my life I'd done quite a lot of writing retreats I'd read loads of books about writing (laughs) so I think in a way I was kind of further on than a lot of people so I was just going oh I have a great idea have you read this oh do you know about such have you watched this TED talk and I was just having so much fun the time just completely disappeared the second day of the competition I will never forget you know did the live and he looked in the camera went Jennifer Flint oh my god and I kind of sat back from the screen like what and he said you gave 10,000 words of feedback yesterday and he said so you're in the lead now and of course my competitive brain went right then (laughs) well if I'm in the lead (laughs) and I just was having so much fun I thought right I'm gonna go for it now so we're only into the second day of this thing and I decided because at first when I signed up I thought well I know what I'm gonna write about but this is just gonna be a little boost to get me going again but I remember thinking no Jen like really participate don't go in all with your preconceived ideas like sort of go with a blank canvas and see what happens so I thought okay so on the second day, I think it was, I was cycling on my bicycle from a friend's house and I'd been talking about some ideas because we had to post the title of the book into the group that day. And I'm cycling along, still thinking that I'm writing this entirely different book. And it's like, it's an old wagonway track. So it was completely deserted. And I remember it felt like, almost like a hand took my head and, t- and I, it was a bit like that bathroom cabinet moment. And I felt, I know, I was like, what's going on with my head? Why is my head moving? <laughs> so I'm cycling. And I did this and I turned my head completely, like 90 degrees to the left, round. And I'm thinking, why am I moving my head? What am I doing? This is weird. But it was like something was just doing it on its own. So I turned like this moment and I heard wild egg. And I went, what? Wild egg? What's wild egg? <laughs> And then I kind of started getting this download and I thought, oh, oh my God, it's the download like JK that I prayed for at the monastery. So then I'm cycling as fast as my legs carry me home. And then I sat down and I started writing some stuff. When I sort of looked back, because now we're seven years on from that moment with my husband, I thought, actually, that was quite an unusual journey that I went through because I hadn't really you're just in it, aren't you, at the time? Right. And I and I started writing the stuff down, and then I, I suddenly remembered the feelings came back to me about how I felt at the time and how lost I felt. And, and then I, I had this thought of, oh, wow, this is the book that I was looking for. And I suddenly went, oh, wow. 
okay. And I had a moment of gulp again of like, oh, this feels horribly vulnerable. This is kind of my story. But I thought, okay, clearly whatever this thing is, this wild egg thing, like she really wants to be in the world. And it looks like she's chosen me as her sort of dance partner. Who am I to say no? Do you mean like what a gift? So I thought, okay, right, let's do this then. And then that was the beginning of the relationship, which felt like it was part me and part something that was through me that wasn't really of me. It was very like big magic, like Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in big magic. I was like, oh, wow. And that and so then I just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna have to roll with this and move out of the way. Do you mean? And I was suddenly in this process where the way that I had tried to write and failed to write before, suddenly I was in this very different energy and I thought, I get it now. I think I get the idea of what Liz Gilbert talked about and what I've read before about letting something come through you and surrendering and not project planning it to death. (laughs) Right. Right, I get it. And And then I was kind of like just humbly bowing down and allowing this thing to sort of tell me what it wanted to be and then it changed originally so it was going to be a memoir originally which I wrote for about nine months and then I pitched I got a rejection so I paid for some professional feedback at which point the woman said to me I really 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 think you should write this as a novel because I think you can see you've got some good characters I think if you took your story but kind of made it into a character she said, yeah, then you could kind of play with it a little bit. She said, honestly, I think it would really like work. And I think that you've got a natural style for fiction. So I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a novel. Right. Okay. So I thought, all right, then let's just, if that's what Wild Egg wants to be, okay, just show me what you want me to do. And then it was just that. Then I was just in this kind of amazing relationship. Yeah which was transforming me in the process of writing at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. I'm struck by how your personal story that we talked about in the first episode mm. and this story of writing the book, they're mm. both, I see the parallels of surrender and vulnerability come through. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that's so, yeah, you were so right. And I think I remember I mean, I've watched so many Brené Brown talks and I've read books and whatnot. I remember one thing that really struck me that she talks about this idea of when you learn something, it's almost like you go, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh, that's it. Oh, yes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Get that, you know, at an intellectual level. Right. But then there's a process by which you almost metabolize it and you go, ah, like, you know, that, oh, now I get it and it's almost like that was my moment I think when I realized you know my friend I was like oh my god I've got to do the vulnerability you mean I've got to actually go into the emotions (laughs) analyze them in the head oh no so it was like it went from the head then it went in the heart and I thought oh my goodness because Brené Brown says and then it's in the hands so it moves from head to heart to hands so I thought oh wow this is what's happening now with wild egg it's like by going back over the whole thing and telling a story it's finally coming through me through like the, almost literally the hands it's like the learning has become really embodied now so it was almost like I was 
crystallizing and deepening the learning that I'd had and, and learning new things that I hadn't been you know, because I was consciously then going back over it seeing things I hadn't really seen before and I, I almost thought this feels almost like a completion of a great big I suppose like a hero's journey where you come back with the story as the elixir and it feels like this is the most amazing way I can think of to put a beautiful full stop at the end of my first 50 years because it was I decided to finish it by my as my 50th birthday present to myself so it was like this whole going back through your journey, gathering all the learning and the wisdom, and then hopefully offering that in a way that maybe resonates with some other people and helps hopefully some other people, some other women who were maybe in that position that I was in. And I thought, wow, it felt like grace. It just felt like what an absolute honour and what a grace to be able to do that and to, yeah, to be a kind of final bit of, learning and reflection it's like closing a big book of my own life so I can open a fresh page after I turn 50 and that became so that's how it kind of came to life for me on a personal level and you're right it felt like a very parallel process the whole way through and absolutely I think I had to surrender and absolutely get into my own vulnerability to do and I remember I mean I had a lot of freak out moments I was like, oh my God, what? You cannot, no, no, no. <laughs> even, even at the point where I'd finished the draft manuscript, I read it through and I had an absolute meltdown this one day and I had to just take myself to bed because I thought, I was like, what were you thinking? You can't send this, you can't, you're going to be humiliated, you know, and I was up and I thought, okay, Jen, we just need to go to bed. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. It's kind of a bit late now. Let's just go to bed. And I, it was like two in the afternoon. All of a sudden, I just went to bed because I thought I don't know what else to do with myself. Like, it's all right. Just go to bed and it'll all be all right in the morning. <laughs> so there was moments where I almost, you know, thought, nah, I'm just going to have to say I'm so sorry to the publisher. I've decided, I'm, you know, I'm just happy for my own sense of satisfaction. I've written a draft manuscript, but no, I'm not publishing. No way. All the way along, there was some moments like that of where I was getting pushed further and tested further. And, you know, how committed are you to this? You know, have you really learned all these lessons, like in a sense that you're now willing to show up and be brave and courageous with your own life, like Brené Brown talked about, or are you just playing at it? It's time to put your money where your mouth is. And I was like, oh, okay. If that's what you want. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like it made me be brave this fight in this story. Like it was almost like Jen, this story's called Wild Egg. That's what she decided she wanted to be called. You have to be willing to be the wild egg that you want to put out into the world. So you've got to live this. It's not just a conceptual exercise. This is mm-hmm. this is a process that you need to be in it wholeheartedly as well. And I'm curious, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what does wild egg mean to you? What does that title symbolize or represent or, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I've I've sat a lot with this because I thought, because like I said, it just sort of came to us like, why is it called wild egg? What's that about? And I think as I've wondered about that myself, and I suppose it's 
feel like there's lots of layers to it. I think the way I would maybe describe it now is it's a three-part journey about healing ourselves, honouring ourselves and hatching ourselves. So there's a, and I think as part of that, almost the egg, there's something about how we hold space for ourselves and this idea of incubating our authentic self within the space that we hold for ourselves. So there's something about how do we honour ourselves and hold space so that we can actually get in tune with our deepest, juiciest, most aligned self that then is able to break out of the shell of all the shoulds and all the expectations. And then I suppose there's that symbolism of egg, fertility, creativity, the cosmic egg. (laughs) And then I think wild is the, because I was like, wild, it's not really a word that I'd ever sort of used before. What does wild mean? I thought, well, wild to me is being free. So, you know, to be free of conditioning, to be free of what you're supposed to want, what you're supposed to do, to just be in that free place to be your most truest self. And then I thought, and to be free is to be powerful. So I kind of felt like there was all these layers. And the more that I thought about what does it mean, I thought, actually, that's a really good title. I would never have thought of that. <laughs> uh, so I almost think now when I look at the front cover, it's got the shell yeah. around the woman. Now that I look at that, I think almost like the shell was the Jennifer Flint that I was. And this doesn't mean it's just particular to me. I think this is anybody can go through this process of personal transformation. It's like, The shell was the wife I was trying to be, the assistant director I was trying to be, you know, the Jennifer Flint, the part I was playing, but it wasn't really inside. I wasn't being my full authentic self and I had to dig into that and get in tune with that in order to break through the shell and and like almost like we're all the wild eggs just waiting to get out and hatch. (laughs) Yeah. and powerful selves and I kind of think that's maybe why she picked shall call her she why she picked that title (laughs) because it's multifaceted I think yeah oh I love that Mm. yeah and I have been curious too about you know you went from writing this as a memoir Mm. of your story to transitioning Mm. to a novel and in reading as I told you before we started, I read, I'm still in the first part of the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm still in her wrestling with the question of, does she want it or not motherhood? And I just find her so relatable, so relatable. And I know as we were talking, you've gotten messages from women of all various ages and identities who have found her relatable too. So mm-hmm. I guess this is my long way of getting to how did you make her so relatable? Did you research beyond your own experience or was this really a reflection mm-hmm. of truly your experience and just mm-hmm. we can all it just resonates so strongly for all of us? Yes, that's it's a so great in-depth. question. Yes, that's a great question. I would say so and it's funny you know through this through the journey that started when the bathroom cabinet door kind yeah. of moment, the incredible Hulk routine <laughs> uh, happened in sort of summer 2014. From that moment when I suppose that I set off in my story on the quest of, now what does a meaningful child-free life look like? What I find 
so fascinating and beautiful and it's been amazing and especially that I've when I've looked back and reflected on it as well so sitting here as of today I look around in my life and it is rich with amazing child-free women I know loads of child and I didn't I only had one friend at the time yeah so and it's like all these women just started to appear almost like as I made peace myself something in my my vibration changed and it's like effortlessly I just started suddenly connecting with it was like I'm not alone there's loads of other people and I'd felt so alone with it and it was like you know very quickly I started meeting lots of women who were child-free for many different reasons so many of them who chose and not to but some who haven't been able to have children and I think because I was on such a quest myself of like so what is this what is this life that I want to create I suppose I've kind of felt it doesn't feel fulfilling or satisfying to me to almost be like, okay, that's decision made as you were. (laughs) I think because of the journey that I'd been on, which in the end was over a year from end to end, I knew I wasn't the same anymore. I knew like something's been unlocked that I almost like a spiritual Pandora's box has opened and I can't shut the lid now. So I can't just be like, as you were, but there's just not a child in them. No, that's that's not what it's going to look like. <laughs> and I, yeah. I became obsessed with that question, which is why it's in the beginning of the book. So tell me, what is it that you want to do with your one wild, mm. precious life? But I insert your one wild, precious, child-free life. And that's the question I just kept constantly asking, which I suppose is a very midlife question, you know, uh, was probably my own midlife crisis. And, um, <laughs> and so I think to answer your question, because it was an active process. I was talking about it to quite a lot of women. So they would be asking me, you know, well, why are you on the island? And so I gradually accumulated a lot of people's stories. And I guess that at some level, I think that kind of sunk in. So I found when I was writing Holly, I was partly starting with my own experience. But I was like, ah, I would remember things like, oh, I remember such and such telling me that story. Oh, that's exactly the kind of thing that would have happened for Holly. And I gradually kind of, and I thought it's nice to be able to represent other women's stories as well. So I gradually kept weaving bits of other people's stories in, which I felt like would be congruent and would resonate and amplify, you know, a lot of my own experience. So yeah, she was kind of created from that process um, because I wanted it to be, I guess, you know, that wild egg wanted her to be relatable, you know, to a lot of women, I guess. So that was fun. And I suppose she's a bit like, an amplified version of the me that I was before this whole journey bit of me in there and then a bit of a mix of a few other sort of people and a few other people's stories to make it richer yeah so that was fun to do yeah (laughs) and you've done it beautifully I thank you yeah from the first page I was instantly well and the fact that you have that quote before the book even starts of what to do with Mm. your one in precious life if I'm getting that right. But, Mm. and then from the first page, just totally pulled in and Mm. captivating. Yeah. I love the titles that you use. I know there's the one chapter that's ambivalence deadlock and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, just so much of it just resonates on so many levels. I guess I'm curious, how did writing this book change you? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've talked about 
surrendering and I think that was the main mm, yeah. the main experience I had and, and it became it's something that you said earlier Anna about it reverberated into everything in my life so sadly one of the things that happened for me and it was almost like wild egg rose up and almost how I conceptualize it to myself now is you know I was literally this process of right it was me breaking through this shell of the Jennifer Flint that I had been finally I think I'd been in that process for long but it was like it was the final <laughs> it all kind of like burst open and I kind of came out the top <laughs> and as that happened my marriage unraveled so me and my husband ended up splitting up during lockdown which was hard mm. um and I was in the process of I'd changed jobs as I sort of talked about earlier so I knew I had a finite amount of time where I was going to be then leaving really my corporate career and again the old me would have been like oh my god and you know like kind of with me spreadsheets and then like I would have been going out for work and this and I thought no this is not the wild egg way Jen Mm. you need to just trust like allow some space to open up here allow something to emerge that could be much more juicy and interesting than you could ever imagine yourself and I also bought an off-grid cabin So I found all these things started coming towards us where I was, I think as I was writing the book, I was more and more and more crystallizing the process that had happened as a result of the journey. But it was like I was strengthening it and deepening it and making it conscious and which was trust my intuition and say no when something doesn't feel good in my body. And so I started saying no to work, even though financially I was like, that's a no-brainer and I was like okay does this feel juicy no and I was going no thank you and I was like I'm just gonna trust that when I'm aligned and I'm following this sense of being on the right path and being authentic to myself this is my great experiment now so I'm like okay if you're really gonna put your money where your mouth is you've got to be the change Jen you kind of just be writing about you've got to live this so I I made a series of massive life choices that were absolutely from that embodied place. And, and like, it's almost like I very consciously put my brain in the back seat, <laughs> like rational brain, you know, it's like you, you have a part to play, but you're not driving the car and you're definitely not reading the map. <laughs> That's been strengthening more and more. So, I, I mean, I left my job in, a corporate career in October, November last year with nothing, no plan. I had like a few odd bits of work that were sort of just going to roll for a little bit. And I thought, I'm just going to hold true and steady myself because I know this, I know what hell yes feels like and I know what hell no feels like. But that's my North Star now. So I'm really going to try and live like this now. I think writing Wild Egg has helped me to be braver and, you know, in living like that now. And it, it's still challenging, but I think I'm getting better at surrendering and allowing space for mystery and inspiration and life to just rush in and mm-hmm. maybe offer things that I haven't thought about before. And, and like, I'm kind of going, do you know what? I'm just on the wild egg ride and I'm just going to see where it goes and what happens. And like, this is almost like the new way of living post 50. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm having a kind of sabbatical year and just really enjoying 
having these kind of conversations with lovely people and connecting with women and following my jaw, following my bliss. And I'm just going to see where it takes me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, it's changed me a lot, actually. So, yeah, in kind of a practical way in terms of, you know, my setup at home and work and internally, I think, how I feel as well. Oh, that's beautiful. And what an inspirational example. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. What is the impact you hope this book will have on the reader? I hope that for everybody who reads it, it reinforces a sense of whether or not you choose to have children is an if, not a when. And it's an absolutely equal and valid choice you know to have children or not have children so I think there's something about you know the validation of that and the honoring you know because I certainly know from my experience and I'm sure this is true for you Anna like I think when you choose not to do the thing that's expected and you know the dominant path when you take the road less traveled you tend to have thought a lot more about that because it's like you're choosing not to do the thing that you're expected to. So I think yeah, there's so much thoughtfulness and, you know, consciousness and I think heartache often that goes into that choice. I think there's something about honouring that, making visible the kind of process people often go through and that being celebrated and validated. So I hope that's one thing, even if, you know, when women are reading it who maybe might have had children but maybe they might be talking to their daughter who's not sure and going actually I automatically wanted children which was like my mum but actually yeah I never really thought about what happens if you if you do feel ambivalent one woman who reached out to me recently I cried when I read a message because it was literally like listening to me you know what she talked about was I feel so guilty and and I feel like I'm just selfish you know what I mean and I feel so wrong for having these feelings of ambivalence and I just thought if I could help one person like her just go do you know what being ambivalent is incredibly wise because it's a really profound choice when you really bring consciousness to this it's a tough choice and I think you know in the current context well even you know nearly 10 years on from when I was rang just the environment we're in now I think probably is to my mind, amplified that even more. I think there's nothing to be ashamed of about being ambivalent. I think it's probably a sign of wisdom and maturity, you know, and I think I would hope to encourage anybody who's, like I was like really giving them, like I should know what I wanted. Like be celebrating the fact that you're really wrangling because it's a, it's a really important thing to actively choose. So I think I would say like, pat yourself on the back you know and it's totally okay and actually I suppose I would hope to encourage anybody who maybe is in that position like really engage with this as hard as it is engage with it because making a choice is so powerful one way or another and I think you know that's the thing isn't it people always say will you regret it you might regret and I think there's something about making an empowered choice and taking that sovereignty for yourself that I think is incredibly catalytic and powerful so I would hope that that would inspire anybody who's maybe in that position and I think probably the final thing is I hope it shares some like interesting juicy personal development stuff that maybe just inspires people maybe to go and be a bit more creative or to step into their authentic self if they haven't maybe felt 
quite able to, or do you know, and I kind of hope maybe that's also another side benefit of it because it shares some stuff around Buddhism and there's a quite a bit of mm. things I've picked up over the years, you know, from all the personal development I've done. So I feel like there's quite a lot in there from the perspective of hopefully inspiring women who read it, because I think it'll be predominantly women, to just be confident to step into the most juicy, authentic self and like get in touch with their own wild eggness. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Wow, I have never heard anyone say before that being ambivalent is wise. Hannah, I love that. It's mm-hmm. so true. And thank you for saying that. And thank you for putting that message out there. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in it, like you've described, it often has a lot of shame that comes with it, a yeah. lot of questioning and, and a lot of discomfort. And to hold it up as wisdom is just such a beautiful Mm. reframe. And I think a very accurate one. Mm. Yeah. I wish I'd thought about that for myself, you know, (laughs) but I was like, oh, like lashing myself. And now I think, oh, I almost want to go back and go, do you know what, Jen? (laughs) Well done, you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big decision big it's huge yeah 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 and one that I would hope everyone no matter where they land whether that's having kids or not if they are able to you know really does take the time to think through Mm. which going back to what you were saying about conditioning that isn't really I don't think that's what we're conditioned to do right Mm. we're um Mm. with pronatalism and and everything around us I was thinking about how cool it is that this book is written and child-free people like myself or me, those ambivalent, there is so much for us to identify with and relate to, but it doesn't stop at just the question and coming Mm. to an answer. It goes into building a life. And I can see that that even having an impact for women who have been mothers and are now reaching the empty nest phase. I think you've spoken about that and maybe received feedback from some people like that. And I just think that what Mm. a gift to have this to look to, because I often come across in my work as a coach and in the community of being in the community of child-free people and hearing people's stories, there is this question of, okay, I've chosen this life and I'm confident in not wanting kids, but now what? Because- All around us, we can envision and we have examples of what it, life looks like with parenthood yes. playing out, but not as much in our face as the other path. Totally. This so resonate. I'm so glad you brought that up because you'll read in the book. I remember feeling this way very clearly. It's like, you know, the door closed, literally. Uh, and then I remember it was almost like I'd been standing at a crossroads going, well, there's path A, which is, you know, like you exactly saying, it's almost like the carpet's all rolled out for you. I felt this sense that when you look down that path, you can see like where it goes, you know, you see like the baby stage, the toddler, first day at school, you know, there's a lot of things that inevitably have a kind of inherent scaffolding to them because of that's just how a child grows up. <laughs> and there's right. all those sort of thresholds that you're going to go through. So that's just part of the journey. So it's like, I could look down and go, all right, I could see what that looked like. And then it was like, I'd be like, right, so path B then. 
hello. <laughs> and, and, and like at the time, I remember this really panicky sense of it's just like a black hole. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know. There's no blueprint. Like there's nothing to follow. When I reframe it now, I think, how juicy and exciting is that? What I now think about is on the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about, there's a great story about this idea that if the path is clearly marked out, it's not your path. Because actually, and I'm like, whoa. And I sort of almost feel like this is the beautiful gift to my mind. And maybe again, another layer to the whole title of Wild Egg, the wildness, which is about, you know, being free, being powerful, being able to tread your own path. It's like you get to choose what that looks like. So rather than it being something to be afraid of or thinking like, oh God, I need like a compass and I want a map. And it's like, oh, isn't this juicy? And isn't this interesting? Because I get to carve it out for myself. So there's almost the idea that I'm child free. Now I get the chance to be free, free. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's exciting. And I think then that brings up the vulnerability, doesn't it? Because you're going, I can kind of see that path, but that one can't really see which I suppose in a way is why I think it's important for us to share stories so at least you've got you're not following anybody else's journey but you're kind of like ah there's people who've trodden this and they've found they've all found different interesting ways to kind of navigate this sort of blank canvas which I guess maybe helps with that awful vulnerability of stepping into the unknown which inevitably it brings that up doesn't it but what an amazing opportunity to go, okay, I'm going to go in, you know, and I'm going to make my own path. And I think that to me is like the amazing opportunity of being child-free. It's like we get to go into the forest and walk our own juicy journey. Yeah. And again, the idea of surrender and vulnerability and self-trust, like this feels like the, the highest test of self-trust to be able to lean into that journey without knowing what's going to be in front of you and really listening to yourself, being in tune to just follow what feels good and juicy. But to do that, you have to get to a space of being in tune with your body, not just being in your thoughts and, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's (laughs) such a good point. Thank you for yeah thank you for reminding me of that yeah you know one of those things now and I guess because I'm that bit older now when I look back and I I look back at that moment where I stood at the cross and thought well that I've closed that so now I'm like well I'm just looking at a void (laughs) I mean like what now what do I do Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this a lot in one of her talks about it's like you follow the trail of breadcrumbs and it felt a lot of the time over that period of years that I thought I feel lost I feel confused I don't know where I'm going I don't know what I'm doing but it was like somehow I was getting in tune more and more it was like every step I trusted myself a bit more every step I was guided a bit more by my intuition and then I just got more confident and that just grew and grew and grew one thing led to another led to another and at the time when I was walking along that journey I didn't really see how any of it joined up but now when I look back I'm like oh wow that's why I did that it's like everything suddenly popped and all made sense and all fused together Mm. 
And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I think that's almost been the reward of that trusting, like you say, to trust in yourself, to keep taking that step and just in faith and surrender, just trusting that, you know, I don't maybe necessarily even totally know where this is going. But as long as I'm in that alignment with myself, I'm just going to trust that this is for my highest good. You know, it's all joined up together and made sense now. And I'm like, Wow, it was like there was a sort of coherence, but when you're in it and when I was in it, I absolutely couldn't see that. I knew I was sort of on a search. So suppose the common thread was I was searching and I was holding, you know, this question. But yeah, it's only now when you go, ah, it did all join up and make sense. There's something lovely and satisfying by listening to that call to adventure and following each of the little breadcrumbs and sometimes going down what felt like a blind alley. I was like, ah, yeah, they were all necessary in the all. I got something from everything that I did. And now it's all come together in this juicy mixture. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. What a journey. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you for being open to it so that we could all be gifted with this incredible book. Speaking of, what's the best way for listeners to get a copy of your book? Yes. So at the moment, probably the best way. It is going to be available by independent booksellers, but for reasons I won't bore you with that, that's happening a bit slowly. So the best way at the moment is on Amazon. Um, so okay. it is av- it's available to buy now as um, a book, paperback, and also download on Kindle. Um, so yeah, Wild Egg by Jennifer Flint. Yeah, and then there will gradually be other ways that will open up a bit more as well. If people, I know because some people prefer not to try and buy a bit more independent things, and I understand that. Yeah, and I'm on Instagram at wildegg21. I'm on Twitter, Jennifer Flint5. Yeah, so people can kind of follow me through there and obviously just like um, private message if they want to reach out. And I love hearing from people, you know. I'm actually starting to think tomorrow. I've got a conversation with someone who said, oh, I'm like, can we have a chat? We like to talk and it's just so lovely where people are reaching out and I'm just like having lovely conversations like this, you know, with people, um, which is just such a gift, you know, so it's bringing so much joy and like just even more richness. So it's even more like amazing child for me women um, that I'm just connecting with, you know, like yourself, Anna, and so fun. <laughs> oh, so lovely. Brilliant. Awesome. I was wondering, as we wrap up, would you be willing to share any encouragement or advice you have for the listeners? Be compassionate to yourself. That's the one thing, do you know, when I, when I look back as well, I think I used to have such an intense and a critic voice. Like, I mean, you know, and I know we'll have all heard, no doubt, this idea many, many times about speak to yourself like your best friend, you know, and I would be going, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> But then what would happen inside, you know, like in the example of when I was ambivalent, I'd be like, what's the matter with you? It was like that, the dialogue and the tone was always like that. I think for a lot of time in my life, I thought being anything other than that was kind of, you weren't being accountable to yourself. You weren't pushing yourself. You were, you know what I mean? You were letting yourself off the hook. You can't be lazy. Come on, you can do better. I, I thought, sort of thought it was like motivational in a funny way. Like, come on, Jen, you can do better. You know, so I'd be like, come on, what's the matter? You can do this. Why aren't you making this? But I would be like a like a drill sergeant in the internal world. Yeah. 
So now I'm more like, oh, sweetheart, what's what's going on? So, okay, come on, let's have a conversation. So there's something wrong here, isn't there? And I'd be like, and I kind of, I'm quite gentle with myself now. And I think I always thought it's a bit flaky to be like that with yourself. Do you mean it's a bit like, you'll never, you'll get lazy and complacent. And you'll never be very productive. And I think what I've realised, shame is the worst kind of motivator. A great example, I think I'd written the draft of part one of Wild Egg. I'd left it for a little bit, which is the advice, don't edit. So like separate out the SFG, the shitty first draft thing, <laughs> leave a space, then go into editing mode, which I'd always muddled them up together. You know, ah, right, okay, that makes sense. So I'd done that, I picked it back up after a few thought, right, come on then. I read it, I wanted to cry. I was like devastated because I thought, oh my God, it is S-H-I-T. And I was absolutely, I was so broken hearted. And before I think the old me, I would have been like, after all this, is that what you've managed to be? I would have really kind of gone to town, you know? And I thought, okay, Jen, let's go for a walk. So I went for a walk in the woods. And I, was, I remember walking through this like lovely tree-lined avenue thing. And I went, Jen, this is all in my head. I was like, do you know what you've done? I'm really proud of you because, you know, you've actually written like a whole, however many you know, thousands of words it was. Like this is further than you've ever got before. So like put aside whatever you think about it. And maybe it is shit, maybe it isn't. But do you know what? Really proud. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and, then, and, then I, and then I kind of went, and do you know what? If you want to quit, it's all right. That like sort of just landed floating. It went quiet and it was dead gentle. There was no edge to it because before I think I would have almost said it in a way of like, but you better not decide. It was like I, I could feel the neutrality of it in my head of going, honestly, it's totally cool. Like, this is only about what you want, babe. I was like, and I was like, oh, son. So I said, do you want to quit? So I went, no. Went, come on, then should we go back and have another look? I was like, okay. And and I remember like driving going, wow. And the funny thing was, I think that was the proof to me that self-compassion is not being soft. It can be confrontative, but it doesn't have to be shaming. It can be gentle, but it's still powerful. And actually, that was like a massive turning point in the process. Cause I think what I realized is thinking that I was pushing myself to be the best I could be, what I'd always done before was I shamed myself and that's when I kept falling off the horse. And it was like this time I was like, ah, I think I kind of finally get it. Self-compassion is actually much more, in a funny way, challenging because it's just like, this is absolutely your choice. Make a choice. Rather than almost like, you know, I used to spend a lot of time just being like stuck and beating myself up. You know, and I'm like, that's not actually productive. It's almost like you're just, you're not really facing into this because all you're doing is just making yourself wrong, but you're not holding yourself accountable in a funny sort of way. And then when I remember going home and I was like, okay. And I was like, Bernie does say that it's only the SFT. It's just meant to be the shitty first. I went, come on, we'll just have a look at it. And slowly, slowly I stopped, I went, I sat down and I remember like I started chipping away and like after a few hours I thought actually that bit's all right and like it was like wow that was a moment when I knew big shift was finally happening and landing for me so I think 
think self-compassion, which I guess is like why reframe it as wisdom, like honour the fact that you're ambivalent, honour the fact that this is profound, honour the fact that it's worth feeling stuck over. It's okay to feel stuck on such a massive question on when you try to do something big and it's messy and it isn't necessarily a right or a wrong way. Honour the fact that you're wrestling with it and like just love yourself for that and hold space for yourself for that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would yeah, probably say that I've learned and I would hope maybe is a message that kind of comes through the whole story. Mm. So thank you for that lovely question. Oh, thank you for that lovely answer. <laughs> that is so beautiful and so true. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to beat ourselves up and yeah. it's much more effective and empowering to be compassionate but it's mm. not easy when you're used to beating no. yourself up. It's so not. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So thank you for giving us that example. And thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and taking the time to have it. I'm so honored and so grateful. It's been oh, an absolute too. joy. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. I'll catch you next time. Hey, don't go yet. I have something really exciting to share with you. I created a community for child-free people. That's right, a place for us all to hang out, get to know each other, and become friends. So if you could use some more child-free friends in your life, please come hang out with us. It's like we have our own private social media network. Inside the club, we have weekly virtual meetups via Zoom. We have a community feed with ongoing posts and discussions so we can continue our friendship outside of our virtual meetups. And down the road, we're going to have in-person meetups and take these relationships offline and in-person. So if you want in, head to wnk-club.com. That's wnk as in we're not kidding, dash C-L-U-B dot com. I can't wait to see you in the club.